superpowers on the Super Power Up Podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers Podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berenday, and I am so honored to have with me today Dr. David Gruder. We are going to be discussing uh, understanding men in the wake of Me Too. And David Gruder has a very impressive bio. Um, he's a PhD. He's a clinical and organizational psychologist who's president of Integrity Culture Systems. He's also the director of the Center for Integral Leadership at the California Institute for Human Science. Since the 1970s, Dr. Gruder has provided keynotes, training, consulting, and mentoring to executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, helping professionals, and their teams in eight countries on three continents on over 100 topics. Among his multiple hundreds of media interviews and articles, he's been featured twice in Inc.com and 18 times in Forbes. Named America's Integrity Expert in 2008 by radio and TV interview reports, Dr. Gruder was the recipient of a Leadership Award and a Culture Creation Award. He's authored or been featured in 23 books, and his own books have won eight book awards, six of these for his book on restoring integrity in society, leadership, business, and personal life. It's called The Integrity IQ. He was the founding president of the 20-year-old Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology and co-architected two of its certification programs. He's on faculty for and has served on the board of the business development organization, CEO Space International, and he is a certified ritual elder with the Mankind Project. I also just so happen to know that he sings a mean version of Puff the Magic Dragon. Um, and I am, <laughs> that was such a fun jam session, by the way. It was. Um, I'm just really excited to have you here today, Dr. Gruder. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tatiana. And I, when I'm listening to these kinds of introductions, there's a really big part of me that's sitting back saying, wait a minute, who is that person? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> just <are>. to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've done a lot. And I, and like I said, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really honored that you've, you've taken the time to be with us here today. I think, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense that you are uh, a leading expert on integrity because you, uh, you carry that um, at the very core the fiber of your being. Integrity is absolutely the word <clears throat> that I would use to describe you, and it just emanates from you. So, mm, thank so you. You're in the right line of work, according to me, my little humble <laughs> opinion. <laughs> well, you know, just as by way of a, a quick story, I asked people, gosh, it, it's now oh, about 20 years ago. 18 years ago, something like that, that uh, I asked them about uh, what, what is my brand? It's like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I have so many different interests and I've got my fingers in so many pots. I, I don't even know what, uh, what people see me as, uh, as standing for or representing. And almost universally people said, well, that's a no brainer. It's integrity. 
And my internal reaction was gulp, oops, wow. Uh, I don't know if I really want to <laughs> be the standard bearer for that. And mm. then when the guidance came through about, uh, well, actually, the the integrity book that I wrote uh, came out 10 years ago now as we're recording this, so back in 2008. And when the guidance came through for me to start writing that book, I did a really big gulp because I realized that if I was going to follow that guidance, I was going to have to be willing to hold myself to an impeccable standard of integrity because if I dared to write on that topic, I was going to be held to an inhuman standard around integrity. Otherwise, who was I to be able to write on that topic? So it was a real challenge for me to finally step into surrendering to the guidance around writing that. Mm, yeah. And to like also that you're human and, you know, we're all human. But I, I, I definitely understand uh, that, that place of, oh my gosh, am I really going to step into that space? Then I got to live it, right? There's a, mm -hmm. all eyes on you now. <laughs> there, there's no way to do a topic like this around do as I say and not as I am. That's just yeah. not going to fly with this topic. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Of course. Um, so while we're on the topic of integrity, and maybe this is your answer, but I do like to ask everyone who comes on the show, what are your superpowers? Mm. Well, it's a great question. And my, I think that my biggest superpowers are, first of all, wordsmithing. Mm. I come from a family where I got edited to death growing up. <laughs> <laughs> and I got edited to death by two parents whose voicing couldn't have been more opposite. My dad was mm. an attorney who did a lot of technical writing. And so he edited me from a very technical perspective and a critical thinking perspective and all of those things. And my mom was a published poet. <laughs> wow. So I got edited from as diverse and opposite a set of voicings as you could ask for. So that I, I really bless my parents for driving me crazy as a kid. I really hated it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but throughout my adulthood, starting in early adulthood, when I was a proofreader for and then ultimately became the executive editor for a newspaper, I, was, I became deeply grateful to them for that. So that's one superpower. The other, honestly, is that I am blessed with being able to take high-level vision and good intentions and values and goals and translate those into step-by-step -step practical procedures that enable leaders and entrepreneurs and their teams and, and just everyday folks like you and me to walk our talk mm -hmm. rather than just simply stay at that good intention philosophical level of wouldn't it be nice if... Now, that is quite a superpower because I know a lot of people, myself included, can get stuck there for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It took me a while to realize that that was a superpower because, as you know, when we have a natural superpower, meaning one that we didn't deliberately 
craft or take it upon ourselves to develop, we tend to think that it's not a superpower, that right. that's just what everyone does. It's as, mm-hmm. you know, it's as obvious as breathing. <laughs> and so for a very long time, I didn't realize that it was unusual for a leader to be simultaneously capable of high-level visioning and rubber-meets-the-road implementation. Mm. I thought everyone rolled that way. And Mm -hmm. finally, I was taken to task by people saying, you know, you really are being arrogant and uh, and, and, uh, putting your expectations onto other people and onto other leaders that they should be able to do what you do simply because it's so natural to you. But we got to tell you, this is really unusual. Most leaders are either visionaries or detailed implementers. Very few are both. Mm. Mm. So that's the other superpower. Well, that's beautiful. And it's really good that you had sort of a community of people to call you out on that. You know, I think that's, that's a gift that not everybody has. Um, and sometimes that makes all the difference between people claiming it or not. It's having those around you say like, hey, look, this is something special that you have that not oh. everyone does. Oh, yes, Tatiana. It's so important. I think it's my, my bias is that it's important for all of us. And my bias is that it is not optional. It is absolutely mandatory for leaders to be surrounded by people who can, when useful, express nurturance toward that person mm-hmm. and whenever needed to challenge that person to hold their feet to the fire yeah. because love takes both of those forms. Love is not only nurturance. It's that beautiful alchemical blend of nurturance and challenging, which is the feminine archetype, the feminine energy in all of us, men and women and the masculine archetype or energy in all of us men and women that energy of nurturance and challenging yeah which i i think is really i I love that you brought it back around to that in um in light of the topic that we've chosen for today because i think that that's a lot of what what we are seeing right now is um leaders being called into some serious accountability Mm -hmm. and um we before we dive in we do have to go to a quick break um but i'm really looking forward to getting into this topic with you because i i really value your perspective all the work that you've done in the mankind project um and just who you like who you are as an individual and as a as a male leader um i think that a lot of men have a lot to learn from how you walk in the world and so i'm just really excited to dive into this topic with you on understanding men in the wake of me too but before we go to this quick break would you just let people know where they can find out more about you and your work sure my main website is www.drgruder.com that's d r g r u d as in david e r.com Beautiful. So for those of you who are wanting to, you know, just unpack this topic a little bit more, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like 
like you. When you join the net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, and we're back. So... Oh, Dr. Gruder, I, there's so much um, trying to just figure out where to start with this. Um, I, and I guess what the first thing that's present for me right now is an awareness that um, as the women are, are reclaiming their voices and are speaking their pain and their rage and, you know, all of, all of this exposure is coming out in the mass media and in our culture right now, what I'm perceiving um, on the part of a lot of men is quite a lot of fear and um and maybe there's a lot of questioning of you know have i done something wrong in the past it's going to come back and bite me in the ass am i doing something wrong now you know was the way that i was taught incorrect what am i supposed to do right now um i don't know what to say i'm just going to sit here and do nothing you know this 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 is sort of the the sort of silent um, undercurrent that I am perceiving. Would you say that that's that there's some accuracy there with what you've what you've seen and heard in your work? It matches tremendously well, unfortunately, sadly well, with the experience that I'm having with men and women right now. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, maybe before we go a little bit further, would you tell our listeners if they don't know what the Mankind Project is? Um, maybe about that because I, I feel like the work that's being done there um, and the container that's held there just from what I understand from my husband's involvement in it is that it could really serve um, our collective right now if people were to be engaging with it a little bit more um, and bringing these conversations through that context so could you just talk a little bit more about about the mankind project and about how how that might fit into this conversation absolutely the Mankind Project is an international nonprofit. It was established a little, a little over 30 years ago now. Uh, it's in, uh, I've lost track of how many countries, but, uh, but really around the world, from South Africa to New Zealand to multiple countries in Europe, uh, throughout North America, U.S., Canada, Mexico. Uh, and uh, its, its whole mission is to essentially, if I, if I soundbite it, and then I'll say just a little bit more beyond that, it's to help create a safer world by helping to create safer men. And the way that the Mankind Project focuses on that is that it's really about men mentoring each other in identifying our, each of our unique life missions, service missions, impact missions in the world, and then addressing, facing and clearing away any blocks that stand between us and being in integrity with our particular mission. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. Um, And I think that in and of itself, I don't know that there needs to really be an explanation of how that can serve our collective right now. I mean, that explanation is in the introduction right there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. Yeah. So 
I mean, what do you, what do you say to men? What are some of the conversations and the, and women, what are some of the conversations that you've been having around all of this right now? And, and how, cause I, what I, what I see the, the potential for in all of this is a great polarization and almost like a, like a war, civil war, <laughs> cold war mm-hmm. happening um, mm-hmm. on an emotional level. And, and I think, so that's one potential. And there's also the potential for like an incredible evolution and shift in our culture and in the systems that are in place. But I think that the way that we navigate our day-to-day interactions with one another is really sort of the, the make or break of, of which direction we end up going collectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of directions we can go in this. So <laughs> sure. we'll just start our start in the middle and work our way out in all directions <laughs> at once. <laughs> uh, so from, from the woman's perspective, what women have been telling me, uh, and, and my wife and I have had a lot of really delicious, juicy discussions about this, is about how hard it is for many women to have men understand what it's like to walk around in the world knowing that they could be directly, indirectly, overtly, covertly um, attacked or violated in any given moment in a way that very few men experience in an ongoing kind of way. Men... There are certain men who carry this as well, but most men, in my experience, don't feel chronically unsafe or chronically at risk of being unsafe. They feel that way in certain specific situations, whereas so many women that I've talked with are in pain over how unaware men seem to be about how privileged they don't know they are. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one slice. Another slice from the from the woman's perspective, as I've been taught about it from women, is the challenge of how do they embody their authentic power as a woman without resorting to behaving like a man in drag, if I can yes. say it that way by way of shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. It's a topic that I've, I've spoken with a lot of people about this sort of over masculinization of the feminine. Exactly. Uh, because we've been taught that in order to have power, we have to act like men. That's how you get ahead in the society. I mean, look mm-hmm. at Janet Reno is like perfect example, right? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So we've got that on the, on the side of, of what women are struggling with, at least as I've been educated by women. And then from the side of what men are struggling with, they're really struggling with this split in them between training that they've often received, either in their family or in their culture or in the education system or wherever it is that they've been exposed to this, in in how they're supposed to become a new age sensitive guy <laughs> and yet how do they navigate the more raw masculine energy in them in good ways mm-hmm. and so in the men's movement in men's work there's 
in my experience, a lot of confusion between how to, or around, how to discern between divine masculine energy and shadow or dysfunctional masculine energy. Mm. And I believe that women are struggling with a parallel thing from, from their side. I think that's absolutely true, yeah. And that lack of discernment that so many men seem to, to have because of lack of exposure, that lack of discernment between what is divine masculine power and what is dysfunction, dysfunctional masculine power causes men to carry this ongoingly intense, this increasingly intense fear of emasculation. Mm. Mm-hmm. That so in that, order to be what women want them seem to want them to be, which isn't true, by the way, right. but in order to the script is in order for me to be what women seem to want me to be, I have to, I have to, I'll say it bluntly, cut off my balls, right, 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 which is not what women want, really. At least the women that are in my circles, they don't mm-hmm. want that. Yeah. They want men in their masculine power, but they want the they want the divine masculine power. They don't want the dysfunctional ego based masculine power. Mm-hmm. And in my judgment, no one in their right mind should want anything other than that from men. <laughs> yes, yes. But so let's. So let's um, let's dive into that a little bit more, and 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 I don't know if we can do it so much, but just in words and a conversation. But I would love to explore your understanding of the difference, and how someone who might be listening can discern, you know, what is the difference between that, you know, ego-based sort of cultural programming misogynist masculine that's parading around and that is you know really at the root of all of this me too eruption and that divine masculine beautiful standing in in full power and strength you know warrior but with an open heart warrior like can we let's talk about this a little bit and give people some distinctions if, if, sure. if there's someone listening right now who wants to know, how do I know the difference? Like, what, what do you say to them? Okay. Yeah. Here's what I, here's what I do say. I unpack it in, in two main ways. The first main way is that the divine masculine and the divine feminine are motivated by one thing, love. Mm-hmm. Not the carnal love. I mean, that's delicious and that's lovely, but that's not the love I'm referring to right now. The love I'm referring to is the agape love. It is the love of of humanity, the love of source, the love of connectedness, the love of having positive impact in the world. Mm. That love. So when my, my beliefs or my feelings, or my words, or my actions are not, are not animated by love. I am in ego. I am not in divine masculine. Yeah. And so that's the first piece that we may want to unpack, but that's, that's piece number one. Piece number two is, is clearer differentiation between divine masculine power and deteriorated masculine power. So divine masculine power, I distill into two main 
qualities. The first is challenging, being challenging, and the second is being decisive. Mm. Now, the shadow expression of being challenging is tyranny. Mm. It is, uh, it is uh, shaming people. It is, uh, it is um, the the over controlling. Um, well, you know, I don't have to describe it too much because both men and women can pretty well identify the shadow version of uh, of being challenging. It's mm-hmm. it's really, it, in a sense, it's being emasculating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's it's raping. If right. I if I say it, you know, we can use emasculation for men and raping for women. Although there is reverse rape, but you know what I'm trying to get at there. Absolutely, it's the, it's that dominating force, right? Jay? Yes, yeah. yes. And then the shadow version of decisiveness is manipulation, coercion, mm-hmm. forcing people mm-hmm. into doing what we have decided they should be doing. And if we're doing that in a particularly shadow, sophisticated way, we'll manipulate them into thinking they're doing what we want them to do for their own good. Right. <laughs> right. So that's, that's shadow decisiveness. And men who are really operating from that divine expression that's love focused and is expressing the ability to hold people's feet to the fire through love, which is challenging, Mm -hmm. and the ability to be decisive when decisiveness is right-matched to the circumstances. That's incredibly appealing. People, Mm -hmm. men and women, find that quality when it's expressed from divine masculine energy in men or women incredibly attractive. Mm -hmm. But that's half the picture of what's divine, because men who are not also embodying the divine feminine in them are half men. Mm. Oh my God. I love you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we've got to talk about the divine feminine in men as well. Mm. Um, because what we're seeing, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to just make one other point for uh, first, which is that, when we're what we're seeing is more and more, or what I'm seeing is more and more men um, over elevating the feminine to make the feminine superior to the masculine, right? Which is simply doing the equal and opposite insanity of men making the masculine and it's the the dysfunctional masculine more important more precious more useful more valuable than the feminine energy Mm -hmm. and whenever there is that kind of of um, mindset that says one of these two the divine masculine or the divine feminine is superior to the other we are asking for, we're inviting the kind of polarization that you were referring to earlier. Right, right. So is it okay if I move into the divine feminine now? Yeah, and I, but I, what I also want to address is that as we move into this divine feminine in men, is that fear of, you know, can I still be a man and hold 
you know, that because there's, I mean, there's so, that is so thick in there for men, especially in, in our culture. Um, so can, like, I'd love to address that as we move into holding the divine feminine, maybe we're going to anyway, but I just want to bring awareness to that. Like, you know, I felt that like, okay, we're going, we're going to talking about the, you know, men holding the divine feminine. Like there's a, there's a scariness in there because it's new and it's unknown for a lot of people. And it's like, uh, so maybe uncomfortable territory. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. No, you're spot on to bring that up. And even this cuts both directions. When, when women are, are in executive positions yeah. and they are fairly conscious and spiritually connected, they're also struggling with the question of how do I exercise? How do I embody divine masculine energy in me as a female executive without sacrificing or hiding or diminishing the divine feminine in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really a challenge I think for men and women. And so for, for men, what the heart of the divine feminine in us as men is, is in contrast to the, um, the uh, challenging energy of divine masculine, there is the nurturing energy of divine feminine. And again, from a divine love-based perspective, there is nothing more delicious than a man in his nurturance. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly compelling. And then the contrast in the divine masculine to being decisive, the, the feminine energy of that in a man is the capacity to be collaborative. Mm. Yes. So what, when a man is blending decisiveness and collaboration and challenging and nurturance, he actually gets to be whole and complete as a man. I would, I would say that's true for women too. And I think part of what we see with why it's so hard, especially um, for, you know, anyone in a position of leadership is that our system is set up to reward competition, which is the opposite of collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's set up to reward the shadow version of masculine energy instead right. of healthy de uh, decisiveness, it's competition and coercion. Right, right. So how do we, like, what needs to shift? I mean, what, where would you as sort of, you know, creator of cultures, Mr. Gruder, where, where, do, we need to, <laughs> where do we need to flip some switches that can actually affect some change in this whole thing? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the, the two primary starting places for the flip switching have to do with going from an either-or mindset to a both-and mindset. Mm -hmm. And that's the first switch that needs to be flipped. Well, actually, I don't know that there's an order to this, but <laughs> one of the two is that. The other of the two is the discernment between 
the divine expression of masculine and feminine energy in both men and women Mm -hmm. versus the deteriorated version of feminine energy in men and women. So I haven't touched yet on the deteriorated version or the deteriorated expression of nurturance and collaboration. Yeah, let's talk about that. Sure. So the deteriorated version of nurturance is indulgence. Mm-hmm. And indulgence makes unacceptable behavior acceptable. Indulgence teaches both men and women entitlement, that they're entitled to stuff without having to do anything for those things. So <clears throat> the indulgence piece, confusing indulgence with compassion, with empathy, with nurturance is a very dangerous confusion to have. This is, I'm just thinking of this as a parent, like that's a real, and as a mother, um, that's a really huge, huge shadow piece you just named right there. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, we've got a lot of work to do on that one as a culture. Absolutely. And then the collaboration piece, the, the shadow version of collaboration, well, it actually takes two, two forms. One shadow version of collaboration is, uh, is where we're giving in in the name of peace. We're not really doing collaboration. We're pretending to collaborate, but we're really submerging our own truth and our own boundaries in the name of trying to move forward. And the other version of that is something called compromise. And compromise is the wimp's way out. Because the best attainable outcome using a compromise tactic is that all parties walk away from the negotiating table, if you will, feeling equally ripped off. Hmm rather than unequally ripped off, <laughs> which often happens in compromise too. But best, best attainable outcome is equal amounts of ripoff on the part of all parties. That so, is not collaboration. Right. So, so let's, let's unpack this one a little bit more because I think that we're, you know, we're entering this place collectively where collaboration is absolutely where we are headed, where we need to go if we're going to pull through this one as a species. Um, and, you know, I really heard you naming that piece of everybody holding their own voice. And this is, this is a lot of the information that I've been given both from the elders that I've worked with and just my own um, downloads, if you will, about, mm-hmm. you know, the circle cannot be a complete circle if all of the parts of the circle aren't really holding themselves to their fullest expression. Yes. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's so many layers in that because in order to be able to even s- speak your own voice and hold strong in it, you have to know what your voice is outside of all of the other voices that have been imposed upon you throughout the course of your life. Mm-hmm. Finding that in and of itself can be, you know, almost a lifelong journey for some people. Exactly. And what traps people is the cultural programming 
that that trains us to think in terms of right and wrong. Now, I'm not talking about ethics right now. I'm talking mm-hmm. about you know value judgments that people place, where they are taught to focus on I'm right, you're wrong. That version of right and wrong versus this fits for me and this doesn't fit for me. Right. When we get into the mindset of I'm right, you're wrong, or you're right, I'm wrong, there isn't room for our inherent delicious differences as human beings. Mm-hmm. Where the where the juiciness comes is when two people can sit with each other and each person can say, well, here's what fits for me without judging the other person about, you know, without inflicting this judgment that says, well, what fits for me should fit for you. And where the other person does that exact same thing and they say, well, here's what's what fits for me. And then once both people are clear about what fits for each of them, they then join together in a courageous co-discovery process around the question of how do we create a plan or a solution that combines what fits for each of us. I think that is so huge. It's like, to me, it's the most important work we could be doing right now. And I think it does take a lot of courage and it takes a lot of humility and like willingness to maybe admit where you haven't been fully in integrity, where you haven't been, where you have been coming from that right or wrong place and to ease up on it a little bit. I I see this a lot like in the social justice movement right now, um, which I have so much tremendous respect for. But sometimes I also see like there's this place where if you're not using this specific language and these specific words, you're like, it's like the whole, like you're with us or against us thing. And I'm not seeing how that's serving a collective conversation towards evolution, towards any kind of solution. Well, it's not. It's serving the escalation of polarization. And the reason this happens is because in my experience, we aren't taught, uh, thank God there are some exceptions, but institutionally in the education system, in the religious system, in the parenting system, uh, in the governance system, in, in our country and around the world really, we are not taught what I refer to as tensions competence, the ability to Ooh. sit in the tension of two different versions of what fits for one group and what fits for another group so that we can engage in a co-creative process to discover together solutions that that take into account and incorporate both sets of both sets or multiple sets of what fits and i think part of why as a society we in the United States have forgotten how to hold tensions competence, how to carry tensions competence is because politically and ideologically, we have forgotten the audacious vision that is at the heart of the U S declaration of independence and constitution, Mm -hmm. which is setting up a society that is going to operate at the intersection of, and I'll use the Constitution's wording, preserving individual freedom 
and promoting the common good. Mm. When we make one more important than the other, when we turn that into an either or, one is better, one is worse, rather than a both and, we preclude, we block the capacity to create sustainable solutions. But the capacity to tolerate ambiguity, the capacity to sit in the soup of both and and navigate the tensions between freedom and responsibility, that requires a huge amount of emotional maturity. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, you know, if there's any parents listening out there right now, who are wondering, you know, how do I cultivate emotional maturity in my child? Like, what would you say to them? Because I really see, you know, I mean, of course, it starts with ourselves. We have to cultivate it in ourselves. Um, but where, you know, I'm always thinking about the next generations and, and the children and the grandchildren who are going to inherit, you know, what we've created and what we're continuing to create right now. Um, and you know, how can we bring them up to do it better than we've done? Great question. That's a long topic in and of itself, but sure. in the context of our conversation, I'm going to offer a, a simple starting place. As long as you and I and our listeners understand that I'm not for a second trying to imply that this is the whole ball of wax, mm-hmm. <laughs> but as a starting place, What I would offer is a piece of wisdom that actually comes from a study that was done decades ago at Harvard. Uh, The project was called the Harvard Negotiation Project. And what they were looking at in that project is that they were looking at what the question of what creates an effective negotiation process or an effective leader. Mm. And what they looked at was two dimensions, people and tasks. And whether a leader or a, an executive or a manager, <clears throat> pardon me, was being hard or soft on people, hard or soft on tasks. And what they found, and what that means, uh, I'll explain in a moment, but let me f- front load this. What they found was that the most effective and sustainable tactic was to be soft on people and hard on tasks. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean? Soft on people means that we hold people's hearts with a sense of sacredness. We offer healthy empathy, not indulgence, but authentic empathy around the emotions that people are struggling with inside themselves, the the belief struggles, the the struggles in people's belief systems that they carry inside themselves. We, We offer authentic empathy for that. That's soft on people. Hard on tasks means we hold people accountable for the impacts of their choices. Hmm. And we don't confuse the two. Yeah. It's both and. Oh, God, that is such a huge distinction. I mean, just to circle back around to the Me Too thing, I think that's like, that's such a huge piece that, that has been hard for me in this whole conversation. It's like that behavior 
was unacceptable, but you are still a human being underneath it all. And there's some, you know, even if the behavior was consistent over 20 years um, and it became a habit and it, you know, like there's still some thread of humanity in there that I want to connect with. Right. When we're hard on tasks and we're hard on people, we shame them around their impacts. When we are soft on tasks and soft on people, we teach them entitlement and self-indulgence. And this is the key to a starting place, I think, for elevating parenting to go back to this part Mm -hmm. of your question, Mm -hmm. which really has to do with much more than just parenting. But this this is the starting place for elevating parenting as far as I can tell. Because most of us have not been exposed to a version of accountability that is non-shame-based, that right. is not punishment-based. Right, and guilt-based. And all, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, part one slice of what I do with leaders and with cultures, work teams, nonprofits, etc., any kind of group, is I teach them step-by-step step how to implement collaborative accountability, the kind of accountability that is soft on people and hard on tasks, that, mm. that really holds people accountable for the impacts of their choices without shaming them for the choices they've made. Yeah. This is, this is so huge. Um, and I, I, I want to, I want to leave it. I feel like there's so much to unpack within that. Um, there's so much value that you have offered to our audience in this conversation. I want to thank you just from the depths of my heart for taking the time out of your day to be on the show and to have this conversation with me. I've gotten a tremendous amount of value from it. Um, I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I'm looking forward to having you and your wife back on the show together to talk about, you know, how we do this, how we do this sacred union as men and women thing in a good way. Um, And Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would love to have you back on again. I think there's, there's, I'm going to be expanding into some panel discussions coming up here in the, in the near future on this show. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that there's just some there's there's so many topics that we're needing to explore right now in this in this conversation. It's we're ripe for it. We're ready for it. I believe because of the very fact that all of this ugliness is coming to the surface. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that indicates a readiness for us to start looking at it and dealing with it. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. And so I just want to thank you so much for who you are, for your work, for your words, for your wisdom. Um, and for coming on the show today. Thank you. Oh, it's been my joy to be with you and I look forward to more in the future. And Lori and I are going to look forward to being on the show together in the future. With yeah, you. I think it'll be wonderful. Um, again, for our listeners, you can find out more about Dr. Gruder at www.drgruder.com. It's D-R-G-R-U-D-E-R.com. Um, and thank you, our listeners. I love you so much. I know that you got value out of this one. And until next time, 
Go out and love yourself so you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.